crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello, welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Naktagal. I am back in Jerusalem, Israel, finally, after about six months or almost six months out of the country. Very pleased to be back here. We are currently serving our two weeks of mandatory quarantine inside our apartment here in the Barca neighborhood of Jerusalem. So we're about three or four days down and uh, about another 10 days to go. We'll see how we See how we go. So far, so good. Thankfully, my kids have a little bit of space uh, to to run around a little bit uh, inside and on the on the back balcony, and so they are not getting um, uh, too much cabin fever just yet. But we'll see how time goes <laughs> as time goes on. Thank you very much for listening to last week's program, sending in some feedback. Uh, if you were able to get to that, just documenting the latest Haaretz piece, which looked at the reign of the biblical king Manasseh who reigned in the 7th century and showing how the article was just deeply flawed in the way that it didn't even consult the biblical text. It missed one whole chapter in uh, its its expose of how archaeology doesn't match the Bible. And because of that, uh, because they missed that, that chapter, the very crucial chapter of Manasseh's repentance, they were able to make some of those statements. However, if you go back and read through uh, what Chronicle says about Manasseh's reign, you'll see that great building and construction projects are mentioned there, which is something that they uh, did not uh, feature in the article. Today, I want to talk about Jerusalem since I'm back here. And currently in our History of Ancient Israel class at Herbert W. Armstrong College, we're talking about the the division that existed inside the nation in the lead-up to King David's rule. King David ruled around 3,000 years ago. Around 1,000 BCE is when he started to rule uh, over Jerusalem. And you'll be aware that David didn't rule over all of Israel at once. In fact, there was two separate nations in a way uh, for about seven and a half years where David ruled from Hebron over the tribe of Judah only. And then Ishbosheth or Ishbal, as he's called uh, elsewhere, Solomon, uh, Saul's son, sorry, he ruled over the remaining tribes of, of Israel, the northern tribes. And as we bring out in class, there's heavy division that exists following the death of King Saul and a severe breakup of the nation and even borderline civil war. When you had these two competing dynasties, if, if we could call it that, of course, God had chosen that David was to reign of the tribe of Judah following uh, Saul being disqualifying himself in the book of 1 Samuel uh, for a number of reasons. And in doing so, it really did disqualify the dynasty of Saul. Of course, King Saul came to power at the request of the people. The people were fed up with judges. They didn't like relying on God to provide a savior for them in the event of an oppression. They wanted to know where their saviors were going to come from. And so they requested they requested a dynasty, and that would come, well, attempted to come through King Saul, but that would be replaced. Now, what I want to do today is talk about 
David's policy in choosing Jerusalem as a way of unifying the heavily divided nation. And this was extremely necessary uh, for David to heal the wounds that had been created amongst the tribes, uh, longstanding wounds, really, or longstanding divisions, let's put it that way. And he decided that he would do that, or God led him to, to see that the only way to do that was underneath a new dynasty of Judah, a long prophesied dynasty that would reign through Judah. You can see Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, which talks about how the scepter is not going to depart from Judah. It would stay in Judah. It would be in Judah until Shiloh comes or until he comes that who uh, to which it belongs. That is talking about the Messiah, who too will come from the line of Judah eventually going to rule from David's throne from Jerusalem as well. And knowing that, uh, you can really see why David would expressly have a policy of choosing Jerusalem as the capital, both the religious capital and also the political capital of the nation. It wasn't like this up until this point. You had a religious capital where where the tabernacle was, Shiloh at first and then to Gibeon, Uh, But David would unite the religion looking to one city and also the politics as well, the political head. There would be kingship and priesthood in the one city and a city that was God's. And you can see that going back uh, to the earliest chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14. Now, it's it's really important to know why David chose Jerusalem, and we've we've spoke about we've written about that in our Watch Jerusalem magazine. We have an article about that by our editor in chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, in Jerusalem's or how archaeology reveals Jerusalem's origins leading up to David and what happened in the city. And one of the very important parts of that article is he talks about how Genesis 14 brings out that Melchizedek was there as the king of Salem, the king of Shalem. And you can see in the book of Psalms that Jerusalem is Salem, city of peace, or or, as one translation of it. And that's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, around 1850 or something like that, I suppose it is. Uh, BCE is when this city was established and established by Melchizedek, who is also called the priest of the Most High. So back then in Genesis chapter 14, and this is the history that David's obviously going to draw upon, in uh, following God's lead in choosing this city, you had the king of Salem, who was also the priest of of the Most High. El Elyon, I think it is the name of God in that, in that verse in Genesis chapter 14. And so there is the precedent for what David is going to do. But what's really interesting, if you read the account, all through the period of the Judges, and after Joshua conquers as well, before you get into the judges, the book of, oh, sorry, the, the city of Jerusalem doesn't play a huge role. It just doesn't. And there were attempts to take it by the tribe of Judah following Joshua's death around 1400, a bit thereafter, 13, uh, 1385, uh, tried to take over it, but were unsuccessful. Benjamin also had, a, had an attempt, but he was unsuccessful. Because Jerusalem, or the city of Jebus, as it was called at the time, uh, that that city was on the borderland, very northern part of Judah, and where the southern tribe of where the or the tribe of the southern border of the tribe of Benjamin was. That's where Jerusalem is located, 
And so all through this period of the judges, for about 400 years, you have foreigners living in the middle of the, the very heartland of the territory that the Israelites were promised. And it would take a king, and a king like David, to actually conquer the city. Now, God had tremendous plans for David. God was going to set up an eternal dynasty through King David. That is what the Bible is about, uh, really, when it talks about how the Messiah is going to come and rule from a throne. That's the throne of David. You can read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7, and it talks about that, it talks about all the titles and how he's going to reign, and how the increase upon the throne of David, there'll be no end. This is an eternal throne, an everlasting throne that would come through David. But And he's a human being, a regular human being, just like us, whose heart, as it says, uh, though, was just like God's, though. A man after his God's own heart is whom God would raise up to fulfill this kingly role. And we can get a lot of insight into why God chose David uh, because of how David first chose this city of Jerusalem as well, understanding that this was a city whom where, where God had ruled from uh, in the past, if you go back to Genesis chapter 14. Now, I want to read 2 Samuel chapter 5, this critical chapter we go to quite a lot in Watch Jerusalem, because it talks about David's palace being constructed by King Hiram of the Phoenicians. It talks about where King David's palace should be located, just to the north of the city of David. And that's where it has been discovered in the past decade uh, by Dr. Elot Mazar of Hebrew University, whom we have worked with, whom I had the chance to work with. On that excavation back in 26, 2007, and 20, uh, 2008 as well, this chapter is critical because it, it, it is an amazing uh, just point in history where there is division and there is now going to be unity. Division amongst the tribes and unity created with the establishment of a new capital. A new capital with a lot of historic importance, of course. Here is 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we'll read from the first verse. It says this, And all the tribes of Israel came to David, sorry, then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron in the south, and spoke, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, when, king, when Saul was king over us, it was you who did lead out and bring in Israel. And the Eternal said to you, You shall feed my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So they're actually, the Israelites, as we bring out in our class, uh, the Israelites, they were slow getting to this. There had been seven years since the, the death of King Saul and at least four years from the death of Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and yet they had been slow to come and acknowledge David as king over them also. David was just king over Judah, ruling from Hebron, of course, as that was one of the main centers of, of Judah to the south. So all the elders of Israel, that means the northern tribes of Israel, came to, king, came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Eternal, and they anointed King David over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven and seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So at the start of David's reign, you had disunity. Then, finally, the northern tribes of Israel acknowledged David as their king. And what is his first act? To unify the nation. A, a nation 
that was going through borderline civil war. Well, it was to take Jerusalem, to move the capital. Then it says this, the very next uh, verse, verse 6, And the king said to his men, Sorry, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke unto David, saying, Except you take away the blind and the lame, you shall not come here, thinking that David cannot come here. Nevertheless, it says, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same is the city of David. And so you had the inhabitants of this highly walled city, which was still, it seems, the walls from Melchizedek's time, from at least the Middle Bronze, was still there, and you had them saying, you know, the blind and the lame could defend this city, and still you won't be able to take it. And if you know Jerusalem's geography, you know this is the case, seeing how steep the Kidron Valley is, the Valley Vadi Joes, or the Valley of Jehoshaphat, to the eastern part of the city of David. It's extremely steep, and there was, as we covered a couple of uh, uh, podcasts ago, another valley on the east, on the western side, similar to that, and so it was hard to conquer this, which is why one of the reasons why it hadn't been conquered for 400 years. And it says there, nevertheless, David still took, took the stronghold of Zion. Stronghold of Zion is just a name. Zion refers to this hill, the whole eastern hill, as it's also known, of Jerusalem, the Ophel Hill, another name for this hill also. And this is the ancient, ancient Jerusalem. This is where you find the most ancient remains in Jerusalem, right around the Gihon Spring, the perennial water source of Jerusalem, and the hill uh, that, is, uh, that that spring belongs to is known as the Eastern Hill. It was also known as Zion. And the fortress of Zion was this city of Jebus, also known as that. And David's going to take it, and he's finally going to give it a new name. And that new name would be the city of David. So the fortress of Zion, or Zion, the, the city on Zion's hill, became known as David's, uh, David's uh, city, the city of David. And then it talks about how David built round about from Milo and inward, and David waxed greater and greater for the eternal, and the, and the God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messages to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Eternal had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And so it's just really interesting to see that his very first act after being made king over Israel and Judah combined now was to move the capital, move it to a fresh place that hadn't been conquered by the Israelites that had history going back to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And this policy of choosing Jerusalem, God's city, to be the capital, the political capital, of the combined nations of Israel, tribes of Israel, would have a tremendous unifying effect. Now, at this point, David is still king. David is king. But... At this point, there isn't the knowledge of a perpetual, eternal, kingly line to come through David. That promise hasn't been given yet. And really, we see something interesting about God in this, that he was probably testing and waiting for David, seeing what David would do, seeing how David would act. And David would act in a, in a, in a stunning way here, uniting the nation around Jerusalem, and there would be 
a tremendous blessing given to him and his his family line because of his policy of choosing Jerusalem. So this is the first part. What did he do? He moves the political capital Jerusalem. And in our class, we talk about how this was a new capital. This wouldn't have had affinity uh, or a city that would have had affinity to Judah necessarily. The worry, of course, is of the northern tribes is that the, the king from the tribe of Judah is going to be unfair towards the northern tribes. And we even saw some of that towards the end of Solomon's reign. That was something that happened. And you even had, as Rehoboam became king after Solomon had died, the northern tribes of Israel saying to him, are you going to rule us the same way Solomon did? And Rehoboam, being unwise, said, well, my, my father might have chastised you with whips and I'm going to hurt you with scorpions. So yes, I am going to rule you that way. And, and that's the point at which the northern tribes under Jeroboam split from Jerusalem, and from the southern kingdom of Judah for good. It's all going to be done. Done with no more. There's going to be disunity amongst the tribes of Israel when they didn't choose Jerusalem, and they also rejected the throne of David. So first, he's going to move the, move the, the capital here to a city that doesn't have any real tribal affiliation, again, on the border between Judah and the northern tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin would eventually come down and be part of the southern kingdom. But at this point, Benjamin was still part of the northern kingdom, and as it would be, too. I mean, Benjamin was the, the tribe that the, that the dynasty of Saul was coming through. So from a purely political standpoint, this city was a good choice. If a king is going to say, uh, I'm going to be fair between you. We did something similar to this in Australia. Well, I didn't. Uh, historically, they did in choosing Canberra between uh, Sydney and Melbourne. They didn't want to have Melbourne. The Melbourneites wanted to have the capital. The Sydneyites wanted to have the capital. Let's create a city smack dab in the middle of the two and call it Canberra, and that'll be our capital. And that's what it is today. Now, Jerusalem had a whole lot more significance than that. I'm just showing how, in terms of a political uh, situation, how that would have been seen as an extremely fair move, this fresh start for Israel and Judah coming together. Now, that would have had a unifying effect on the nation, of course, as well. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to move the political center to a new capital. There was also David's policy of establishing Jerusalem as the religious center as well. Now, one of the first acts he does after moving the moving the uh, the capital to Jerusalem, political capital, he also goes and searches out the ark. And we're not going to go into too many details about this. Of course, the ark had been touring around uh, the Philistine cities up into uh, before David's reign, during the reign of, of Eli, uh, the, the, the judge, and a bit thereafter. And finally, after five of the cities of the Philistines, had some plagues that came upon them before because they kept the ark in their in their territory. The ark then moved on into Beth Shemesh and, and Kiryat uh, Yerim um, for a number of years before David would then decide it was time to go fetch the ark. Now, why didn't anyone do this before David? It's quite puzzling that you would think that it's time to bring the ark, maybe perhaps bring the ark back to the tabernacle, which was at Gibeon at the time. Shiloh had been burnt to the ground. Perhaps during the time that uh, the ark was taken, uh, the Bible doesn't talk about when Shiloh was destroyed, but it probably took place around uh, 1065, 1070, in that kind of uh, that that date range. 
Uh, archaeology has confirmed that it was burnt down around that time, around that same time that the Ark was taken also. But David decides that it's time to get the Ark. And what he does with it is interesting because you had the tabernacle set up at Gibeon, as I said, which is close to Jerusalem, uh, but it's not Jerusalem. And yet David brings the Ark to Jerusalem. Now, again, there was a split. And there was a split between the tabernacle uh, and the political capital. And David is uniting them into one location. And this is something that was important, something that God wanted. And where did David put the ark? The ark would come into Jerusalem finally after David had a few missteps of, of how he should treat the carrying of the ark. He didn't do it the way that God had recorded in the Bible and, and a man uh, died because of that. Um, but then he got it right. Then he got it right and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put it right by the Gihon Spring, this, this symbol of, of the Holy Spirit of God, this symbol of the wells of salvation, the book of Isaiah calls it, this very important spiritual symbol, the Gihon Spring, again, the perennial spring in Jerusalem. And he sets up a location for that Ark of the Covenant inside a tent right by the Gihon Spring, and it would stay there for around 30 years. Around three decades is where it would stay there. And so David conquers Jerusalem. He moves the capital there. He then brings the ark there. And there's still, the tabernacle is still at Gibeon. So you kind of still have a division between the tabernacle service itself and where the ark of the covenant was. And there'd be a separate service for the ark of the covenant. Zadok the priest would end up being at Gibeon. Abiathar uh, would be there uh, for for part of this, uh, by the by the tabernacle, or by the tent, sorry, by the Gihon Spring, and of course we have when David is 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 about to die, and Solomon's going to be made king. They go down to the Gihon Spring into inside that tent, which isn't the tabernacle, and grab uh, and there, uh, right by the the Ark of the Covenant or close to it, anoint Solomon as king, Solomon as king. So this is a very important religious location. Uh, for David, and David knows that, for God. So, he establishes then Jerusalem as the religious focus, bringing the ark there. But that also wasn't, David wasn't done with just bringing the ark. And this is some of the, one of the most beautiful passages of the Bible, because we have talked briefly about the throne, the kingly dynasty that was prophesied to come through Judah and that David would be established in David. But at this point in the Bible, uh, we don't have God bestowing that wonderful, tremendous, unifying blessing upon David. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. David's moved the capital of Jerusalem. He's brought the ark there, but it hasn't happened yet. Notice how the Bible sets this up. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verses 1 to 6. It says this, And it came to pass when David dwelt in his house. So this is the beautiful house that David dwelt in, that he built just in the north of the city of David, just below the southern wall of the Temple Mount, that you can go visit at least the foundations of that house to this day. He dwelt in this house. You can just picture this. And he's looking around and that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the Ark of the Covenant of the Eternal dwells under curtains. There's something wrong here. This was something that David 
as he's meditating, sitting in his own beautiful house and thinking, why is it that the tabernacle, uh, that the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a type of God's very throne in heaven, is there in a tent and I'm in this beautiful palace? And Nathan said unto David, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. And it came to pass that same night that the word of the God, word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell David, my servant, thus, shall, shall, thus says the Lord or the eternal, you shall not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. In all the places where I have walked among Israel, spoke I a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house? So this is this is interesting because it shows here that David wasn't going to build the house, but it, it, God was impressed by David's plan, by David's attitude that I am dwelling in this beautiful, beautiful building, but who's thinking about God? Shouldn't God have a spectacular, shouldn't God's house where God dwells be the most spectacular building far far above mine and that isn't the case right now so david wouldn't get to build this house solomon would build it you can see that from the other account in samuel it's explained that david was a man of war and this was going to be god's house god's temple a type of his throne in heaven and so uh, because of that god wanted solomon to 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 build it a, a man a young man that didn't have any blood on his hands didn't had hadn't been fighting in all these different wars, um, but David wanted to build God a house, and look at God's response to David. Look at God's response to David here at this point, and let's go to Second Samuel chapter seven and verse uh, eight to seventeen is what we'll read. It says this: Now therefore, thus says you, thus sorry, therefore, sh- thus shalt you say unto my servant David. Thus said the Lord of hosts. So this is talking to what Nathan should tell him, Nathan the prophet. I took you from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you, whithersoever you did go, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like unto the name of the great ones that are in the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they will dwell in their own place, and they will not, and they be disquieted no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness uh, them any more uh, afflict them any more, as at the first, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will cause you to rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Eternal tells you that the Lord will make you a house moreover the lord tells you sorry that yeah the lord tells you that the lord will make of you a house and that's from the jerusalem publication society version so notice this this is all in the context of david sitting around and looking at his house and thinking that's amazing and yet there's something wrong here god needs a house and then nathan says well you're not going to build it but this will happen And instead, because you want to build me a house in Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen, as it says throughout the scriptures, 
I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to build of you a house, a family, a family on a throne. Because of your choosing Jerusalem for me, unifying the nation around this new capital, putting back the significant, the religious significance around this city that I have chosen, as God would say, then I'm going to make you a house. This is when God bestows upon David the dynasty that would culminate in the Messiah's coming, the fulfillment, the full, complete fulfillment of Genesis 49 and verse 10. This is where God told David it was going to be you, and it was going to be unconditional, this throne, this kingly line. God wasn't going to take it away from David's sons. Now, this is a promise that continues to this day, though, though nobody believes the Bible, it seems. This promise is throughout the Bible that this was unconditional. Read God's words, and if God... If it's not, if it is, if it, if it is, if it is as it reads, unconditional promise that there will never be a break of this throne, uh, even if the sons of David sin, then God is a liar. So God puts puts His own word on the line, uh, word on the line here, and so it was David's love for Jerusalem, David's love for establishing it as a political and religious capital of the unified nation of Israel, that motivated God bestowing upon him a kingly dynasty that is going to rule in the future, not just from Jeru- not just over Israel, from Jerusalem, but over this entire earth, and then going out from there over the entire universe as well. Quite incredible. This is a quote from a new booklet by Watch Jerusalem Editor-in-Chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry. The booklet's entitled The Eternal Has Chosen Jerusalem. He says this, notice, this is page 17, God made this towering promise after David brought the Ark of Ark to Jerusalem and determined to build a magnificent temple for the Ark in Jer- Jerusalem. King David understood the Ark and Jerusalem uh, were to God, and because of this, or how precious they were to God, and because of this, God blessed David. Isn't that beautiful? Because David had chosen Jerusalem and loved Jerusalem, God's city, and reestablished it religiously there as the capital and politically as the capital and went all out in it, in the establishment of that, to unify the nation that God was going to make of him a dynasty that would rule uh, from then onwards. Verse 12 says this, it says this, when your days are fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers, this is Second Samuel chapter 7, I will set up your seed after you that shall proceed out of your body and I will establish his kingdom, Solomon's, and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. That's what it's about. And, and we really talked about this and had a feature, oh, two feature articles about this promise in our previous edition of Watch Jerusalem, and I'll leave a link for you uh, to get that free magazine if you want a copy of it in the show notes of today's program, proving what the Bible says, proving that it's a promise that's unconditional, that there should be a throne on earth at all times of somebody on it that belongs to the line of David. But notice this, continuing on verse in verse 14, the next verse. I will be to him for a father, 
and he shall be to me for a son. Talking about how God would view King Solomon. He's going to be a son of mine. God's own son. Now, now you could say that this is figurative. You could say that it isn't literal. But there's plenty of scriptures through the Bible that talks about how God does have a plan to build sons out of human beings. We'll get to that in a second. It says this as we continue. If he commits sin, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. So just in case there's any type of confusion about whether this is an actual promise or whether this is a conditional promise upon the obedience of the person sitting on the throne, God says, even if he sins, even if he's the wickedest being, I will chastise him. I will chasten him with the rod of men. But my mercy will not depart from that individual or from the line of David as I did depart, give and take that mercy away from King Saul's line. King Saul's line ended because of Saul's unrighteousness, but that's not going to be the case for David and David's line. Unrighteousness of a king does not negate the promise to David of an eternal kingly dynasty to come from his loins. That's the promise of the Bible. Read Jer- Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 16 and 17. It talks about that as well. If you still see the sun and the moon out there, Sun during the day, moon at night, you know that this promise to David is still valid. It still rules today. And uh, verse 16 says this, And your house, which is your family, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever. The Bible is very, uh, very dogmatic here. It, it, it shows that this throne is to continue forever. And what's, what's beautiful about this and why I'm choosing to cover it is because this whole, this whole idea of choosing Jerusalem as God's city and David choosing Jerusalem as God's city and what God was going to do there and the fact that the throne was going to be there and how that new throne united Israel for a time, anciently, under David and Solomon, It was the combination of the city and the throne. The royal city of Jerusalem, God's city, and the throne being there that was going to be the unifying force in ancient Israel. And if you look through the pages of the Bible, it is going to be that way again. It's going to be that way again. If you read uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, Micah chapter 4 talks about how the law is once again going to flow from Jerusalem, this city, and how the nations are going to be blessed because of that. There isn't going to be uh, the division that we currently see within our nations today if only people would unite around this throne of David, this righteous throne of David that God uh, is going to uh, really set up when the Messiah comes in its fullest extent. But I want to get back to this concept here of what God was saying to King David through Nathan the prophet when he said that I will be to him Solomon for a father and he shall be to me for a son. 
God is really talking about a family relationship that he offered, not just to the Davidic line, but he offers to all mankind. All mankind eventually, and God has a time order to this, and right now it's not the time that God is out there picking up everyone, saying, you be my son today, you be my son. Um, God has a time order to this, of course. But what God was saying is this kingly line of David and this dynasty of David, uh, that is going to, that is a family throne. It's God's family throne. The Messiah is going to come and sit on that same throne, the continuation of that same throne. Yet it also says in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse, verse 7 that David is going to be resurrected and he's going to be sitting on the throne. So how is this possible? How is it possible that you have the Messiah sitting on the throne and you also have uh, David sitting on the throne? Well, perhaps this is a big throne. Perhaps this is a family throne. Perhaps there's more royalty than just one monarch eventually when the Messiah comes. And perhaps they are going to be children of God. And the Bible is, if this sounds like a an amazing, far-out notion that's preposterous to the point of impossible and borderline blasphemy, uh, then you really need to read some passages in your Bible. You really need to read, again, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read verses 25, 26, 27, 28. talks about how God is there and he's creating all the animals and each of the animals, the fish, they're created after their kind, the fish kind. And the mammals, they're created after the mammal kind. The insects, they're created after the insect kind. But then when it finally gets to man, what does God say? He says, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. God says, let us create man after the God kind. We're not creating man after the mankind, and man will just grow, grow and that's the purpose of man. He lives, he dies, and more men come. Now, that's not what God's doing here. This is something totally different. God is actually recreating himself in mankind. Now, if you're physical and you're walking around on this earth, uh, you're not God, uh, God yet. <laughs> you're not God yet. Although it is possible to have the Holy Spirit of God that the Bible talks about throughout and that the Holy Spirit was given to David. And David, David actually prayed in, in Psalm 51 uh, after his sin with Bathsheba that God would not take not your Holy Spirit from me because he knew that the presence of that Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit, is what made him a son. And it's by that Spirit coupled with his human spirit as other passages, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about, that that David will be resurrected as a God being. As a God being. He will actually be born at that point as part of the God family. And this is God's plan. I mean, it's in Genesis 1, everybody. It's right there from the beginning. That's not to say that it's not uh, impossible uh, difficult, sorry, I should say, to discern that through the pages of the Bible. It's revealed knowledge. It's revealed knowledge that comes from God, and it comes from God to to those that are humble. You also have Psalm 82 and verse 6. Psalm 82, verse, uh, verse 6, you should read that. The JPS translated, translates this verse this way. It says, I said, you are God-like beings, and all of you, sons of the Most High. It's interesting there that JPS says God-like beings, 
And that's just watered down. That's not what the Hebrew says. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I know these two words. I know Elohim Atem, God's you, or you are God's, is what that means. It doesn't mean God-like. It means you are God's. And that's what it says. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. And Elohim said, let us make man in our image. And here in this verse, it talks about Elohim or you are gods as God is looking at man. And so this is very important because what we're talking about here has everything to to do with Jerusalem. It has everything to do with why David chose Jerusalem as the capital because God had already previous to David chosen that going back to Melchizedek's time. You can see that as where he ruled from and would rule from in the future. And it's prophesied as we covered briefly through the pages of your Bible, that this is where all nations are going to flow to. Zechariah chapter 14 also talks about that. This is where everyone's going to come to. Although all the families of the earth are going to come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone's keeping it at that point. Everyone will be keeping Sukkot at that point. And that the prophecy there is not all just of the Messiah ruling from a city of Jerusalem. The unity will also come because it's this continuous line of David's throne ruling from that city. And David's those ruling on David's throne, David will be there, Messiah will be there. Obviously, all the Old Testament prophets would be there as well. Some of the righteous kings would be resurrected uh, to spirit life at that point also. This is a God family throne that God created. When he said, God said, you want to build me a house in this city, David? Well, I'm going to make you of a you a house. It was an eternal dynasty that will continue through the Messiah. And then when the Messiah comes, David will be resurrected among others that God has recreated himself within. In this brief puff of wind, uh, fading flower, uh, space of space of t- time that we upon this earth as physical human beings living and then dying those whom God has given his holy spirit to and doesn't take it away from those who submit to God's creative process in them as it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 those that actually let God create in them his character as it says over in, in, in Isaiah chapter 64 as well, those that submit to the potter who recognize that they're clay and God shapes them in his hands. Shapes them into what? What's God doing? Is he making pottery vessels? Or is he recreating himself as the master potter, his character, his nature, which is underpinned by his, his perfect law? That's God's plan. And then eventually there will be born sons of God ruling from Jerusalem, all of which will be sitting on that very throne of David. That is the expanded house of David. It doesn't end when the Messiah comes. It actually explodes in size of multiple people sharing that throne. And that's what God promises to those that would submit to that creative process by God in their lives that would live, as Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 talks about, by every word of God. This this period of the wilderness that we're all in right now is where God is proving us if, of course, uh, he has 
uh, brought us along into this understanding. Now, this this is this is uh, dynamic uh, understanding. Doesn't originate with me. <laughs> uh, it's it's obviously from the pages of the Bible. And if you want to understand this, it's the very crux of the Bible. It's the purpose for man. It's the at the core of the purpose of why the Davidic line was chosen. And it's at the core of the purpose of why Jerusalem was chosen for the Davidic line. And it's the reason why that decision, again, when the Messiah comes, is going to unify the world as it unified ancient Israel. If you, There's nothing more important about than this. You need to understand it. You need to understand God's purpose and plan. And a book that is going to help you in understanding all of that is this book entitled Mystery of the Ages. Mystery of the Ages. It was written by Herbert W. Armstrong, completed in the very final year of his life, actually completed in this city of Jerusalem when he was here uh, back in 1985, it explains this dynamic purpose of God from the pages of your Bible. And if this sounds very new to you, I really do suggest that you take the time to request this book. It's free. Uh, again, it's called Mystery of the Ages. I'll leave a link for it in the show notes. If you would like to just uh, request it um, by email, you can write to me at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Make sure you include your address with that. Wherever you are in the world, we'll make sure that you get a copy of that book that will unlock this dramatic, beautiful purpose that God uh, is working out here on this earth. And God really did reveal lots of that uh, to King David and reveal it to King David just as he was choosing Jerusalem as both the political and the religious capital for the nation and using that to unite the nation of Israel. And just as it will, a policy of choosing Jerusalem is going to unite the world under the throne of David very soon. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening. I'll hopefully be with you again next Sunday here from Jerusalem. Uh, if you would like to send feedback to this program or if you'd like to send feedback to any of the articles that are on Watch Jerusalem as well, you can send again your feedback to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>